0: Or Whatever
1: Movies with Wesley and Iris. What up, and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I am your co-host, Iris, and I'm here with my older brother. Wesley. Today, we are talking a film from 2012. It was nominated for the Academy Award Best Foreign Language Film, which has recently been renamed to, what is it, Best International Film? Yep. Contiki. You'd think homeboy would learn how to swim before he goes on an 101-day voyage across the sea with no life support
0: especially given how long this voyage took to set up in the first place it's not like okay oh, well, we can go so we're going let's go and then they go he it took <laughs> a long time he was securing funding he had to chop down the stupid trees when you're cooling off from chopping down the balsa wood trees maybe take a dip see how it goes
1: maybe there's no water in norway
0: there, there's fjords <laughs>
1: You know, I saw a clip of the real Thor Heyerdahl, which is yep. spelled Thor, by the way. Yes. And it would just be so fun to call him Thor. And I saw some archival of him where he's speaking Norwegian. Do you think that they actually spoke Norwegian throughout their journey and everything? And they just didn't in English?
0: Yes. I don't I don't know that Thor Heyerdahl spoke English. Because when we see him in the Kontiki documentary, the original documentary, he's not speaking English. And then the voiceover comes in it, and it's a proper British accent like this. That's a, not a proper British accent, but you understand what I mean.
1: Whereas in the film, they all speak English very well. And yet it was still nominated for best foreign language film. I'm confused.
0: Because ready to have your mind blown? Anytime they were speaking, they shot both English and Norwegian. And so the Norwegian what? version is a foreign language film. They filmed entirely alternate versions. And this was the American film picked up by Harvey Weinstein and put on uh, for American audiences.
1: Wait, so there is a totally Norwegian version of Kontiki, the 2012 film? Correct. Not dubbed. Right. How come we don't have access to that, like with subtitles?
0: Because uh, Amazon Prime's not going to give you something that people would be reticent to watch. They want it to be oh, yeah! Easy.
1: Speaking of, now available on IMDb TV and Amazon Prime.
0: Free with ads.
1: I mean, I watch all films, whether they're in English or not, with subtitles. So I think I would much prefer to see this in Norwegian with subtitles.
0: We would never have expected that this movie would be filmed differently in Norwegian. This is an English movie by, by the Weinstein Company, and, and to find out that there's a a Norwegian version, which is undoubtedly the proper version because it was intended for release as a Norwegian film. We have the lesser version.
1: That's so funny. And it's so easy to think that your version, like you were saying, is the primary version. I remember when I was in Australia, they were like, where are you from? And I was like, California, you know, like Roxy, Quicksilver. And I'm like, where are you from? They're like, oh, I'm from Canberra, or I'm from Sydney, you know, Quicksilver, Roxy, and I was like, ha wait, what? And then I found out that those brands are Australian brands, like from Australia.
0: Yeah, were you in the process of eating like a hamburger or like pizza or anything like that, those quintessential American foods that are not?
1: Yeah, America's favorite pizza, chicken with corn.
0: Uh, Yeah, you almost got it right. America's favorite pizza in Hong Kong is corn and ham. (laughs)
1: I mean, sounds about right. So did you notice that everybody in Kantiki is like glowing white and blonde?
0: Yeah, it happens. And thankfully, when you're Norwegian, you have no need for sunscreen whatsoever. Now, granted, in this movie, they wore their shirts a lot of the time, probably because they were out filming on the open water inexplicably for like half of the time. About four weeks they spent on on the open ocean and then the other four weeks they spent in a tank. But even one day of bad sun exposure and you throw off your continuity for the whole thing, right?
1: Yeah. And they got progressively tanned and sunburned and even like peely bearded by the end. I mean, do you think indigenous Polynesians and Peruvians wore sunblock?
0: I don't know. Dad doesn't wear sunblock.
1: Yeah. And he would sit outside for hours. Neither does mom, by the way. Yeah. Nor does she ever use but, insect repellent.
0: But she's Mexican. But What does that have to?
1: <laughs> Mosquitoes don't like Mexicans?
0: No. I mean, they produce a lot of oil.
1: Do you produce a lot of oil?
0: Yes. It's a pretty straightforward... Action adventure tale, right? I mean, these are the modern day explorers. These are the people when everything has been explored, recreating the methods of 1500 year old sailors and hoping that that stuff that they find written down somewhere or inscribed in stone or something is legitimate enough so that when they get on the water for a 100 days, it won't kill you. It's pretty hairy stuff.
1: Like, it kind of made me think of Into the Wild, where it's like, yeah, I can figure it out, how to, like, live in the snow and stuff, and then they die. There's a name for this (laughs) kind of condition.
0: Spoiler, but the detractors obviously would say, yeah, after the fact, he went out there, didn't know what he was doing, and died. And these guys are not regarded as being flighty, seat of their pants, This is the dumbest thing ever. They seemed pretty assured. They got, they were financially backed and they were able to do what they did. And they were regarded, is it only because they survived that they'd be regarded as heroes?
1: This film doesn't claim that Tor and his team proved anything about the founding of Polynesia, the settling of Polynesia. All they can really, truly claim was the the spirit of adventure that they captured and how that invigorated people to try and experiment and make other discoveries of their own, whether it be in space or
0: otherwise. Adventure is out there. The wilderness must be explored.
1: I mean, but I don't know. I wasn't that impressed. I mean, Moana did it. <laughs>
0: But I mean, uh, when people said, you know, this can't be done, they did it. We definitely had the fat, chuckling naysayers who were like, (laughs) everyone knows that can't be done. Right. And then he was like, (laughs) well, I'm going to do it. (laughs) Have
1: faith. So were they just were they just spreading their seeds of doubt or were they being genuine? And when they were like, the logs are going to bang up against each other and break all the ropes so much so that the refrigerator salesman went so far as to bring wires like steel wires on the trip with him, all hidden away in his trunk, like all shamefully.
0: Yeah. And you would think, because I'm guessing that the Incans or the Peruvians who sailed to Polynesia didn't have a shark cage, right? That was something of their own invention.
1: <laughs> well, it seemed made very kind of authentic looking.
0: Right. And you would have thought that if, if they weren't recreating an authentic shark viewing cage, they could have done so more safely and effectively with steel cable which he unceremoniously threw into the water. Even if you're not using it, have a backup. It's like setting out now without your cell phone or GPS or satellite phone. You can have all the elements (laughs) to authentically recreate. That doesn't mean you have to be stupid.
1: Well, they had a life raft. I mean, they obviously didn't have little zodiacs or whatever back in the Incan times.
0: Well, right, but the Incan times, they didn't need to photo document it.
1: That's true, they did have a camera. How did you feel when he threw out the wires? Were you, like,
0: pissed? Totally waste. Just because you're not using it in the execution of the boat, just, hey, put this back in your bag. If we need it, we'll use it. If the thing snap, we'll use it.
1: By throwing those wires away, he did succeed in kind of not spelling that fear that Herman had, but it's like he was holding on to those. He was holding on to those wires. And when he threw them in the ocean, it was almost like he had no choice but to let go of that fear.
0: Right. And the movie then let go of that fear. Because when Herman let go of it, we never worried about the logs again. They never bumped again on screen. They were fine. And from the way that it was portrayed, they were 10 minutes away from Polynesia anyway. Why (laughs) lash the things together and go through the trouble when the coconuts are waiting?
1: Yeah, it was funny how those last, whatever, 60 or 80 days, once they made the turn from the Galapagos... Kind of went by really fast. Like, was it just, you know, they exploited all the kind of adventures that you can when you're isolated on a raft?
0: Definitely. If you're going to be on a boat, dudes are going to fall off the boat into the water and there's going to be tension. We had the whale shark incident, which is a true account. But, uh, you know, whale sharks are big giant sweeties. And so there wasn't any real tension from that particular scenario.
1: Well, the risk was that it could tip the boat, right? Right.
0: Right. But there were a lot of things that were left out. At one point, the the cabin on the raft caught on fire and thankfully they had some water on hand being on the ocean uh, that they were able to put it out. But lots of things happened. As a matter of fact, when Homeboy goes overboard and I, I forget who is the one to save the other dude, is, is it Tor who goes into the actual water in the movie?
1: No, it was the other white um, dude with blonde hair?
0: And so this was the problem of balancing this movie against a documentary, which in itself isn't exactly an accurate retelling. This is much more, we are presenting the voyage as we wish you to see it. Uh, These are heroes, and look at how heroic they are being, you know. It wasn't objective in that way. But the point of this is that the the raft has to move, what, 2,000 miles or something absurd? 5,000. It has to move 5,000 miles in the course of 100 days. That is hauling on the trade winds. So if you fall off the boat, swim or no swim, you're going to be left behind. There's no possible way to get back. And yeah. so when someone in real life did go overboard, they tried to toss ropes, but he was so far out of reach, it couldn't be helped. That person was going to die until another person tied the rope around himself, dived into the water and swam to him as quickly as possible, grabbed him at the last moment before the rope became taut and was dragging them behind the boat where they could climb hand over hand to get back on the boat. If they hadn't done that, he would have died. And it was portrayed in the movie as a guy fell in, we can't get to him, he dives in, sure, with the rope, but the severity of how fast the raft was traveling, how much time and window he had to act, and being able to successfully execute that rescue was pretty harrowing. And Not to
1: mention the sharks.
0: I felt like that could have been handled right they threw the sharks in to kind of heighten that element and frankly it's true if someone goes overboard at any given time they suggested that real sharks were actually following them and yes they could have been eaten
1: they're feeding off of the boat right they were feeding off of the fish under the boat The little ecosystem that the raft had created
0: right i guess the pilot fish and stuff and also from the whales from the whale the filmmakers took great pride in saying that the effects were all done by Norwegian artists and that all the sharks, all of them, were CG, including the whale shark. And given the refraction of the water and how much of the sharks actually appeared above water and kind of transitioning above and below the water with their lenses, I thought they did a really good job for some of those effects.
1: I'm actually shocked to hear that it was all effects
0: underwater stuff and light refraction are pretty tricky right it has to be done carefully otherwise it looks like it looks cheap and fake well what fell short what I feel fell short was the stupid parrot who got (laughs) eaten (laughs) <laughs> that looked pretty bad. And then the and then the ultimate moment, really their last trial, their castaway trial, where they had to count the waves. And then they miscounted or didn't have a choice. The rope snapped. And were hopefully going to be propelled over the reef. And were they going to make it? And that was the time when they really need to put the budget in. And it didn't happen. I think we got a close-up of the face, some splashy water, and all of a sudden they were grounded. And well, that we stayed last with wave. Tor.
1: We stayed with Tor, which was probably appropriate, right, because he's overboard. And we know what that means. And then he finds land. He finds it in kind of the most poetic way possible. Like either he's dead or he makes it, which was their reality all along, all along the hundred days and the 5,000 miles. He either swims, which he can't, or he finds land. And thankfully it's four or five feet under him. Yep. And I think it was, so what I'm saying is I think it was the right thing to stay with Tor on the landfall. But they did gloss over, like, I didn't even know, did the ship get lodged on the reef? Was it completely broken apart? I mean, it looked like it was kind of still hanging out there when they were all walking up on the beach. So they glossed over that, but maybe not totally important.
0: But definitely the Kontiki was trashed when it hit the reef. That unbreakable mast that they erected that was going to withstand all the elements that wasn't like the balsa wood that, that they were floating on was totally trashed. That boat wasn't going anywhere. And in fact, every time the tide came in, it would unseat the thing and dash it again on the rocks and move it a little bit farther away. So they did get stuck and they had to haul all their stuff in through through the water from the reef to the shore.
1: That's documented in the documentary?
0: Right. Yes, it was poetic, but that wasn't kind of the poetry that I needed. However, you do need the poetry for the drama. I equated the Contiki voyage with space travel, right? You're out in the middle of nothingness. So there are moments, minutes, maybe even hours of sheer terror where it all comes down to this and everything needs to be executed perfectly. And if you don't, you're going to die.
1: Yeah, but space is like the most thought through protocol driven process ever, and this felt like a refrigerator salesman and like a cult leader who were like, let's go sailing around."
0: <laughs> and I get that. The point is that everything has to be executed perfectly or you die. And the rest of the time, aside from those heart stopping moments, is just sitting around and waiting and being bored out of your mind.
1: <laughs> or like murdering a shark because you've gone crazy. So,
0: so the Contiki voyage was obviously successful. Spoiler. But it was uneventful. Aside from one person going overboard and aside from the stupid parrot uh, 90 days in mysteriously disappearing one day, nothing really happened. And so all the things that did happen had to be heightened, had to be dramatized, and had to be poeticized. So we got all those elements in the movie. Was Tor
1: himself as a character heightened and poeticized?
0: I mean, sure, we we have no basis for his his life, uh, you know, in, in what was presented, at least from the material that I saw. But in this movie, he had the drive and the dedication and the steely eyed resolve and he had the long suffering life. Like the... Sure. I liked him. He was beautiful. He was all Norwegian and had good hair. Right. But he was setting out <laughs> on a madman's errand. And this particular char- character was more guts than brains. Right. He was crazy and, and unprepared, and we needed the grounded refrigerator salesman character to be the naysayer and to voice all the concerns and and really count on him for some exposition and, uh, and, and stakes.
1: But talk about faith. I mean, maybe Tor had the clarity of faith and of the mission, but if you really want to talk about faith, I mean, nobody had more of it than Herman. Herman was the one who believed in Tor before anybody else did and who had right. nothing to offer but his dedication to the cause, to the mission.
0: Right. You would have thought he would have been the one to die, right? Except the actual Herman was, like you said, one of Tor's primary believers and an essential member of the crew and nothing like this character. They actually had to apologize to the, uh, the filmmakers, had to apologize to the family of Herman because in reality he was a very steadfast, capable, non-complainy, non-wimpy, frightened guy and not the fat guy who has the freak out on the boat and just can't take it anymore.
1: Tor was obviously seeking out fame and the notoriety that would come with a successful voyage. He's pretty transparent about it in the beginning of the movie when he's like, when people think of Polynesia, they are going to think of Tor Heyerdahl. He has it out for his name to go down in notoriety. And, I mean, did you find him to be likable in his kind of transparent... Fame seekingness?
0: I think he was transparent and pretty one note, he was the steely eyed missile man. So was he a likable character? I don't know. He was likable generally in that you like the guy who was gonna make this expedition happen no matter what. Now if people had actually died and if They had been like, Tor, he died. And he's like, Right, but the mission continues. Forward, attend to your duties, to your stations, right? Then he might have been less likable. Mm -hmm. But everything more or less went to plan. When people screwed up, when people did dumb things, he was like, All right, look, let's move on. And you admire those kind of people. I don't know that he was emotionally deep or that his character resonated resonated with me. He was it was fine.
1: I think that for dramatic purposes he was played up to be more reckless. So that it would feel more dramatic. Like, I think if the film labored on the preparedness and, you know, the if it really kind of delved into his theories about the migration from South America to Polynesia, like. Maybe they glossed over that to make it feel more dramatic and to and to increase
0: the stakes. They did. He was more conceptual and less pragmatic or practical. And the screenwriter acknowledged, uh, confessed that nothing much happened. And so everything <laughs> that could have happened was heightened dramatic purposes for this movie and given that they didn't take any real licenses aside from twisting the Herman character to be kind of wimpy and and unsure of himself and of the mission at large generally speaking it happened more or less as it was portrayed on screen just because the score comes in and heightens it and there's maybe a couple more sharks than there would have been and they're very clear underwater and maybe frenzying in the blood doesn't mean that there weren't actually really sharks really flying fish that that more didn't actually spear that that whale shark in the head for no particular reason, that they weren't faced with more or less certain death when they finally come to the reef and it, and their boat was going to be trashed and hopefully they would survive enough to scramble onto the land.
1: Well, it's a water movie too, which are never easy to pull off and oftentimes very expensive.
0: Yeah, never easy. Very expensive, unless you film it in the faux documentary style I mean, this definitely was a dramatic movie and it didn't have a documentary feel, but you're focused on one boat. Now, granted, Titanic was also focused on one boat. It was just a little bit bigger. So you can do it in a tank and you can do it in an open sea. You don't have a lot of moving pieces like you would. Well, I guess Jaws was also on a boat, but this one was actually much more stable on the water than the documentary was. But uh, you also need time for reflection and you need time for their steely gazes and their bright blue eyes. And you can see the sea in the eyes and we can pull back in the the Greyhound shot where we go up into space. And you wonder about how, how small and precious we all are. And yet at the same time, how hyper focused we are on this one crew of dudes in the middle of the ocean where no one cares or expects to see them again. As a matter of fact, I forgot to mention this movie, you supposedly, the filmmaker said that because Tor Hairedal's son later on recreated his father's journey, built his own raft, same raft specs and did it again. And this movie supposedly used the raft that Tor Hairedal's son used. So that raft for all intents and purposes, physically actually made that journey. At one point,
1: it seems to me that bravery without preparedness, without skill to back up your mission, feels like foolishness. And Emil Hirsch in Into the Wild is a dummy. And they played with that a lot with Tor Heyerdahl's character. Like, how prepared is he? Is he just a madman with a boat? Or is he a prudent, calculating, precise anthropologist? who may not have expedition experience, but who genuinely understands on a scientific level how to make this for this voyage across the sea. Like,
0: What's the expression? It's uh, history favors the bold? Sure. If a totally unprepared, irrational madman sets off and makes it, then maybe he's a hero. And if he doesn't, it's just Darwinism.
1: My main criticism of Contiki as a historical event, at least how it's portrayed in the Contiki fictional film, is that they didn't have a plan B I get it go for authenticity recreate the route blah 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 but like you know have a plan B but to counter my own argument those things just serve to perpetuate doubt when what you need to succeed is true faith
0: that's probably why I'm not a a success because I don't have blind faith but no amount of faith is going to prepare you for a shark in the water
1: Yeah. No amount of believing that you're not going to get sick is going to save you from COVID if you're out there being reckless.
0: It could have gone so much worse. And the fact that they got through it all intact was was something to celebrate.
1: Yeah. It was something that made him less of a tyrant cult figure and more of a hero. But didn't wasn't it a little bit salt in the wound for him to, like, desert his wife and go on this mission almost against her wishes, and then go dancing with the chicks on the beach? Like, wasn't that a little bit salt in the wounds? Anyway, does this rando 2012 film get your totally rating?
0: Tor Haradal seems like a focused individual who maybe got lucky, but it was also cool. I'm really glad he would have been a YouTube celebrity today because I'm really glad he undertook the journey. I don't want to do it, but I'm glad he did and that he made it. And everyone wants to go to Tahiti. So I wanted it to be a fun movie, and it was a fun enough movie. It was fine. I would give it a lower end. All right, definitely clears the bar because it was fun to watch, just for the subject matter. And maybe it's the be- it's maybe the best Norwegian film I've ever seen.
1: Is it the only Norwegian film you've seen? It's possible. Well, then maybe just go with it. Maybe this is the best Norwegian film you've ever seen.
0: Yep. What did you think of Kontiki twenty twelve?
1: What did I think of Kontiki? Uh, I love that it was free on imdb tv (laughs) no i really enjoyed it they were all just kind of so enjoyable to watch and they were just like so shamelessly norwegian and seafaring and tan blonde and it's an enjoyable movie it's an inspiring movie i like that it's based on this journey this historical event and this modern day adventure it's exciting. It's exciting to think of people who, who have the bravery and the tenacity and the wherewithal to make something like this happen and to inspire other people to do it. I, I haven't seen the documentary, but I imagine it to be like the faux documentary that they play during the ride, during the line of Indiana Jones. <laughs>
0: It's fair enough. It's pretty rough being from 1950. It's it's definitely that, you know, adventure is out there kind of narration. (laughs) The old timey narration. But uh, it's not lost on me that this movie is a remake of a voyage that in itself was a remake from 1500 years ago. Yeah. Right. It's like a remake of a remake of a remake where. Yeah. Um, But I will say the last thing I'll say about this movie is that Contiki 2012, it is strong enough to have been touted by Norway as their film of the year, as their entry, their best shot for best foreign language film. And it was strong enough that the Weinstein Company acquired it. And this film was strong enough that it got Joaquin Ronning, if I can dare to pronounce his name, the Pirates of the Caribbean dead men tell no tales job. And that's a big job. Regardless of how that movie did, on the strength of this little ocean movie, he got that big kind of ocean movie is a testament to his ability as a visual (laughs) filmmaker.
1: The Disneyland connection is strong. That's our review on Kon Tiki, a film from 2012 nominated for Best Foreign Language Film. Thank you for listening. Please let us know what you think about Contiki or otherwise. 818-835-0473 is our hotline or whatever movies at gmail.com. Follow us on iTunes, Spotify, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you, Patreon patrons, for your support. (laughs) We can't do it without you. We hope that you enjoyed this bonus episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. cast